want you to see your life better. I want, to, I want you to see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. I want you to see yourself separated from unholiness and all that. I want you to see yourself seated in heavenly places. I want you to see yourself uh, above it all in Christ and begin to see your life changing and molding from God's word, Lord, I see it happening, I see it happening, I see it right now in my life. I have it right now. I may not be able to feel it and touch it, but I can see it in the spirit. While we look not at the things that are seen, but what are you looking at? At the things that are not seen. It's not seen yet, but I can see it. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jack Holt at the River. Tonight's message, I've entitled it, Through His Eyes. Say it with me, through his eyes. When I first met the Lord many, many years ago, I remember before I met him, I saw the world through my own eyes, through my own understanding, through my own abilities, through my own talents. And there was always limitation, 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 boundaries, always things that stopped me from going as far as I really felt in my heart I could go. But as soon as I came to Jesus... I started to see things through his eyes, and everything changed. And what I loved about seeing things through the Lord's eyes is that you, saw, you, you don't have the boundaries and the limitations that humanity puts on itself. Because when you see through the eyes of Jesus... Everything becomes possible. It becomes possible to be healed of incurable disease. It becomes possible to save the most downhearted and, and distressed person in the world. It becomes possible when you start seeing through his eyes. And tonight I want to talk about that, and we're going to look at several scriptures. But let's start, if you would, with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to show you that there's a proper way to judge yourself in connection to the cross. And if you don't judge yourself correctly, you don't have that release of God's blessings in your life. And so let's look at the text here in 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, it didn't say the person was unworthy, but doing it in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sickly among them, and many sleep. For if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to take a look at that because I want you to see something. First of all, when he talks here about judging yourself or judging yourself correctly, it's in connection to the cross. In other words, I need to judge myself in relationship to what Jesus went on the cross. And in order, when you do that, there's a discernment that occurs. And you discern, wait a minute, on the cross, he was bruised by iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. Or you begin to discern that he was made poor on the cross in order that we might be made rich. Or you begin to discern that, that Jesus, the curse of the law was put on him when he was on the cross in order that we might receive the blessings of Abraham. And it's because of a lack of that judging yourself 
himself correctly that many of the people were weak and, weak and sickly and some of them had died prematurely. In other words, when they came together, they were just eating food. They weren't releasing their faith in what Christ did for them on the cross. They didn't judge themselves correctly. And many people are like that in the church. They come to church and, and they think of themselves as unworthy. And if you're a born-again believer, just throw that aside. You are worthy because of Christ. Anyone that believes that they're unworthy are in a position that they will not be able to receive the great gifts that God has for us. They won't be able to receive the, uh, the treasures that God has for us because if you feel unworthy, you won't be able to believe for it. The truth of the matter is that Christ made us worthy. Christ made us righteous. Christ made us holy. And when I'm partaking of the communion, the first thing I'm discerning in my mind is this. Lord, thank you that I'm able to receive from heaven because of what Jesus did. Thank you that he hung on that cross and your judgment for sin landed on him so that it wouldn't land on me. I love the verse in John 3. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But then it says this, whoever believes in him shall not be condemned. Not because they did something, but because they believed in him. They believed that he took their judgment upon himself. And when God rose him from the dead, that means that God forgives and resurrects us out of the condemnation and the trouble and the sickness and the disease and, and all the anti-blessing conditions because of what Christ did on the cross. Amen? I want you to turn to someone right now and say, judge yourself correctly. You're righteous. You're seated in heavenly places. You're not a loser. You're a winner. You're seated above it because Christ is in you. Man, there's power when you begin to see that. But again, if you think it's undeserving, there's so many things you're not going to be able to receive because you're going, well, I messed up this week. I yelled at my wife. I cut people off on the freeway. I didn't give enough of the offering. And you won't be able to receive Understand something. Hebrews 10 tells us that when you got saved, God perfected you forever. Not just till the next sin, forever. Now, granted, we got to work out that perfection and put on the robe of that on our lives and, and, and put on sanctification and, and put on all that stuff in our life. But spiritually, you have been perfected forever in Christ. I'm talking about if you're saved. Say amen. amen. So you are in a place that you can receive from God whatever you need. And you can boldly stand before the throne of grace and obtain mercy through the Father. Because what he does, he sees Jesus, not you. He sees Christ in you. Everything Jesus is, you are in him. I preach myself happy right there, praise God. Let me, let me give it to you more simple. I grew up and my dad worked really hard to provide for the family. And so he didn't have a lot of extra time to spend with me. And I wanted to play baseball as a kid. But I never really had anybody teach me how to play baseball, even though I wanted to. 
And uh, like I said, my dad was really busy working, providing for the family. And so I, one time I went out and I was trying out for a team. And, uh, you know, they hit the ball to you and all that, and I was terrible. And so they went ahead and put me on a team, but they put me on a team that I was really too old for. I was that bad. And I remember it just really messed me up. I said, man. And so I never thought I could ever get on first string. What Jesus did is he saw someone like me and you that were on the last team, the, the worst team with the less talented. And he came down here and he died for us on the cross. And he says, I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the best one on the team. And because I'm going to be the best, I'm going to conquer it for you. And all you need to do is believe in me and everything that I have becomes your potential. All of a sudden, I begin to realize what Christ accomplished for me is what gives me my potential. I have the potential of whatever Christ has accomplished for me in my life. I can be the best pastor. I can be the best uh, mailman. I can be the best carpenter. I can be the best doctor. I can be the best father. I can be the best. Come on, say amen. You can be the best because of Christ. Hallelujah. But you got to judge yourself correctly in that area. And what that means is you have to believe that you are what you say you are. Because as he is, Jesus, so are you. Not after you die and go to heaven. Right now. Right now, Jesus is inside of you. Jesus died for you. And everything that Christ is, you are. So judge yourself worthy of a better life. Worthy of a blessed life, worthy of being healed every time you get sick, worthy of prospering, worthy of going over the top, worthy of breaking records, worthy of accomplishing God's will supernaturally. Come on, praise God. Consider yourself worthy of those blessings in your life, not because of you, but because of Jesus in you. Amen. Hallelujah. And I think sometimes that we don't judge ourselves correctly and we look at the negative side of our lives rather than the positive side of our life. Now, let me say it to you from this standpoint. The Father God sees things that we don't see. He perceives things that we don't know. I want you to look at the word kind of like this. It's like children. You're, uh, you're next to a road. Your children are on the other side of the road, and there's cars parked everywhere, and you're this side. And you look, and you see a car coming down the road there, and you tell your children to stop because they can't see the car. You can see it, but because they trust you, they know that what you say will benefit them if they obey you because they trust you. When I got into the Word, the things that really got me excited was I began to realize there's things that God says doesn't make any sense. He said that we were not to speak words that were not fruitful. We weren't to speak them. And at first I'm thinking, what's the big deal about what you speak? But God saw that if I was speaking words that were non-productive, it's going to create a problem in my life that I wouldn't, you know, that I normally wouldn't think about. 
And as I looked through the scriptures and, and God says, don't do this, don't do that, I, I said, well, Lord, I trust you. I don't, see the pro- I don't see the problem with it. But you obviously see something I don't see. That's what it means about judging yourself correctly. When God judges us through the word, it's never to punish us. It's to prevent punishment. It's to prevent lack. It's to prevent illness. It's to prevent problems. You know, people teach on the seven years of the Great Tribulation. Why is it in the Bible in the first place? I'm not going to be there. Because God doesn't want the people that are in it there. He's telling them ahead of time that if you don't accept Christ, you're going to get left behind and you're going to have a judgment come on you that is going to be destructive in your life. So why not accept my son right now? Avoid the problem. Avoid the mess. Get raptured up with Pastor Jack in the river and on the way up have a party in heaven for seven years at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Would that be better? But I I think that that helps when you understand the potential that we have is really geared around everything that Jesus has done for us and accomplished for us. If he hadn't done it, there would be no potential for us in our lives. Now, I'm going to show you some exciting verses and show you how people misunderstand them that I believe is going to help you tonight to really see things through God's eyes and not your own. In the book of Romans, and there's too many verses, so I'm just going to have to quote them. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. How many are familiar with that? And he says, "There, There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Now, what's interesting about it, if you have some of your translations, some of your translations add to it those who walk according to the Spirit. But I know a little bit about Greek. I've been studying for many, many years. In the original text, that is not in the verse. It's down in verse 4 where it talks about walking according to the Spirit. And I don't know for sure, but it seems like the translators couldn't handle the fact that Paul says, once you come to Christ, there is absolutely no condemnation in your life. It's gone in Christ. They couldn't handle it. They had to put a condition on it. I'm telling you tonight, there is no condition. There's no condition unless you call believing a condition. There is no condition to be free from condemnation for the one exception of believing on Christ as your Savior and your salvation in your life. There is no condition. There is no condition. There is no condition. It's not condition on you being in church three times a week. It's not condition on you paying your tithe. It's not conditioned on you being the perfect little Christian. There is absolutely no condition at all. I want you to judge yourself correctly in this area. And that means there's no sentencing or punishment. That's what the condemnation means. In other words, once you get born again, you will never, ever, 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 ever be punished for the sins that you commit in your life. They are forgiven and they're not just forgiven. God remembers them no more. 
So wait, 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 pastor. The way you're preaching, people are going to go on sinning. That's exactly the problem the apostle Paul had. Twice in Romans, they accused him of just that. They said, people are going to just go on sinning because you say there's no conditions. The reality is you won't go on sinning if you're born again. Look at this verse, 1 John chapter 3. Look at this. It's all by grace. Whoever abides in him does not sin or habitually sin. Whoever habitually sins has neither seen him nor known him. In other words, John says, here's the clincher right here. When you're really born again, God changes your heart. You may not be perfect on the outside, but inside you want to do the right thing. Inside you want to follow God because the seed of Christ abides inside of you. Anyone that can live like a heathen, anyone that can live like that and not have no, no scruples against it is not born again. They've never seen Jesus. They've never been touched by Jesus. Jesus. That's why Paul preached grace. Because it isn't an absence of sin. It is a removal of sin. But what the church do, we preach against sin. And I'm against sin. But the gospel is not a message about who's against what. It's about saving people from sin. If you save them from sin, you stop the sin. It's not a list of everything that's wrong. It is a Savior that saves you from everything in your life that you've done wrong, that saves you from your sins, changes your heart in his holiness and his righteousness that we begin to put on in our lives. We begin to make decisions based on his righteousness inside of it. We begin to make decisions based on his holiness inside. Of it. I don't know about you, but this gets me so excited because that's the gospel of grace that Paul preached, that Peter preached. They all preached the same thing. There's no condition. I say that because you may go out and you may do something stupid. You may get mad at me. You may have me for a late night snack and badmouth me and feel terrible about it later. Amen? I pray no judgment comes out. No, I'm just kidding. But, it, but what I'm saying, though, it doesn't change the fact that God is not going to sentence you and punish you for your sins. The way to live right is to focus in on what he gave us. Don't focus in on your weaknesses. Don't focus in on your sin. Focus in on his righteousness. Focus in on his holiness. Focus in on his authority. Focus in on that. And if you focus in on that, you'll bring it forth in your life and you'll overcome. Let me tell you exactly how a person backslides. A person backslides by beating himself over, up over his sin. That's right. The more he beats himself over the wrong that he's doing, that he's worthless, that he can't do it, the more he strengthens the weakness in his life. The more he strengthens that sin in his life, the more he focuses in on that instead of focusing in on believing on Jesus. Believing on what Christ did for him, then all of a sudden something rises up inside of him and he realizes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever you focus in on is what you attract. 
Where are you? You strengthen your fears. When you focus in on the promises, you strengthen your ability for the promises. So that's where people mess up. Let me give you another verse. Look at this. Uh, it's a unique verse. It's in the Old Testament. Put it up on the screen if you would. Um, Jeremiah says this, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or leopard his spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. The idea here is this. You can't change a leopard. He's a leopard. He's got spots. You can't change a sinner. A sinner is going to act like a sinner. A righteous, born-again person is going to act like Jesus if he's changed on the inside out. It doesn't mean he's perfect. He's going to have some down times. He's going to have some misunderstandings. He's not going to be perfect. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But his heart is changed. You ever meet somebody like that? They're in the church, and, and uh, someone gets mad at them, and, and they start worrying about, man, I don't even know if I'm forgiven of my sins because I'm really mad at that person. I don't know if I can forgive that person. But yet when you sit down with them and talk to them, inside their heart, they want to forgive that person. Inside, they want to let it go. That's Christ in them, just gnawing at them, saying, come on, this is not who you are. Once you understand, you got to listen to your heart, you will change your life. Don't listen to your head. It's all screwed up. But your heart, you renew your mind, your heart will dominate your life and your heart will lead your decisions and you'll be led by the Spirit instead of led by the flesh, instead of led by your emotions and God will lead you into an abundant life, a life of blessing. You've got to judge yourself correctly. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I can run to my daddy anytime I'm in trouble. I can run to my daddy when I'm in a bad mood. I can run to my daddy when I'm having troubles. I can run to my daddy when I'm doubting. I can run to my daddy in any time Jesus has left the door way wide open. I can run in and receive help. Run in and receive blessings. But it is an unconditional thing that I'm talking about here today. In fact, Jesus talked about this in another way. You remember when he washed the disciples' feet? And in those days, you know, wearing sandals and walking on not asphalt but dirt roads, feet got dirty. So he's washing their feet, giving them an example of faith. And Peter said, oh, Lord, you can't do that. And Jesus said, well, if I can't do that, you can't have me. And Peter said, well, get, give me a bath. And Jesus said something very prophetic. He says, once you've been bathed, you don't need a bath. Once you believe on Christ and born again, you never need to be made righteous again in your life. You may defile your hands and your feet, but you've been bathed. You've been bathed by the blood of Jesus. So in the Bible, when you see this stuff, you see people putting on robes of righteousness. But for a Christian, the righteousness inside first, and then we put it on the outside. We start acting like what's happening on the inside. I love this because God loves me all the time. Doesn't just love me when I get straight A's. He loves me when I get D's. He loves me all the time. And Jesus made that possible for every one of us here today. It's all about what you look at and 
and what the divine nature within you, if you're born again, you have the divine nature of God within you, is released by the focus you have on Christ. You remember I've used this story before, but let me, let me paraphrase a little bit. Uh, an eagle, when he trains a little baby eagle to fly, initially they land on the side of the net or the, 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 the nest and feed the eagles. But there's a time comes when they got their wings are developed enough that the mother eagle will go in and fly over them and hover, hover over them. Now, she didn't do this before, and when she's hovering over, remember, they're hungry, so they're looking for mom to food, but he's not feeding them. And what is, it, what is, what is she doing? She is getting them to look at what they were born to do, and that's fly. So they look at that, look at it, and then the mom lands in the middle of the nest and pushes one out. And as the one tries to fly, he doesn't do real well. Mom sweeps under him with her wings, picks him up, and goes back up and reverses the process. But they don't learn to fly because they look at squirrels. They don't learn to fly because they look at beavers building a dam. They learn to fly by looking at their mother who's flying. We learn to fly by looking at Jesus, by looking at him conquering the devil, by looking at him seated in heavenly places. That's how, that's how we overcome. We overcome by looking at Jesus, fixing our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. And so you could say this, that negativity promotes and powers more negativity. And that's on a psychological level. I'm talking a gospel level. It's the same principle. Whatever you focus in on, you empower. I want to be empowered by Jesus. Jesus told his own disciples, he says, you can do absolutely nothing without me. And he was drawn an illustration of a branch in a vine. You got to be hooked to the, to the vine. Some of you are out there trying to do it by yourself. You got to be hooked to the vine. You can't do anything without God's breathing on it, without God touching it. Without God infusing it with his presence, you can't accomplish anything at all in your life. But with him, everything's possible. Everything's possible. Every obstacle, every problem, it's possible to overcome and overcome in your life. And here's a key to this thing. You got to look at the end result of what you want in your faith. Stop looking at what you don't want. Stop looking at your fears. Stop looking at what you can't do and start looking at what you can do in Christ. You got to look at the end result. Look at this verse, Isaiah 46, verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, this is God. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Here's shown us how faith works. It declares the end in the beginning. It sees the outcome of your faith when it starts. Not after it arrives. When it starts, it sees the end of what you want. Let me give it to you in some of the greatest teaching Jesus ever did on faith. He was walking by a fig tree one time. He got hungry, went over to it, couldn't find any figs. 
So he cursed the tree. His disciples heard it. It becomes a teaching tool. It withered up from the roots. Then he said, I want you to have the God kind of faith, and whosoever said to this mountain, be plucked up and cast and doubts on his heart, believe the words that he says, he shall have whatever he says. Therefore, when you pray, believe that you receive it and you shall have it. Greatest teaching he ever taught on faith. But he wasn't teaching us how to kill a tree. He wasn't teaching us that. He was teaching us the importance of seeing the end result when you prayed in the beginning. He's teaching to see the, the outcome or the end result of what you're desiring from God in your life. He did that by the fig tree, and he did that when he talked about prayer. Believe that you receive. you got to see the end result. See yourself out of debt. See yourself healed. See yourself prosperous. See yourself with a spouse. See yourself with a vacation home. See yourself with that. That's how this thing works, but all, most people, we're always looking at what we don't have to get what we do want. And we focus in on the problem Rather than faith, faith looks at the end result in the beginning. This is what I've asked for. This is what I desire from God. Lord, this is what I see. Had a lady and her husband wanted to get her kids saved, and so she started seeing her kids in church saved. And she'd come to church, and she'd visualize her kids in church saved, hands up towards heaven, and it was like three or four months, bam, they all got saved. And they all came to church, worshiped with her. Is that an end result? I know it seems simple, but people don't realize faith don't work any other way. It doesn't work because you desire it. People desire things all their life and never get it. They desire to heal, never get healed. They desire to prosper, never prosper. They desire to be in good health and never get in good health. It's not enough to have desire you got to be able to see the outcome of it in the beginning. I see what I want right now. Lord, I receive what I want right now. And you release it in faith, and then God moves in a mighty powerful way. And everybody loved Jesus said, amen. Come on, church, say amen. I want you to see your life better. I want, to, I want you to see yourself as the righteousness of God in Christ. I want you to see yourself separated from unholiness and all that. I want you to see yourself seated in heavenly places. I want you to see yourself uh, above it all in Christ and begin to see your life changing and molding from God's word. Lord, I see it happening. I see it happening. I see it right now in my life. I have it right now. I may not be able to feel it and touch it, but I can see it in the spirit while we look not at the things that are seen, but what are you looking at? At the things that are not seen. It's not seen yet, but I can see it. I, I don't have it in my wallet yet, but I can see it. <laughs> Powerful though. That's what motivates faith is when you are focused in the right direction concerning your faith. Now look here, if you would, with me over to Romans chapter 6, verse 6 through 1. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now notice it says the old man was crucified. Say crucified. When someone's crucified, they're dead, right? Okay, keep going. 
For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. I wanted you to see this, the difference between the old man and the new man in Christ. The old man died. I read the story of a son whose father died and he was in Texas. And his dad always wanted to be buried in California. So he took his dad and he put him in the passenger seat and put a hat on his head in a convertible and started driving to California. On the way down there, he was pulled over by a police officer and uh, he had pulled the hat down on his dead dad and the police officer didn't even realize he was dead. Gave him a warning, let him off, he, he went on. But you know, on that trip, his dad not one time wanted to have a taco when he had a taco. Not one time did his dad say, can we stop for steak and eggs? Not one time dad said, hey, can you pull over so I can stretch my legs? He's dead. Who you used to be is dead. Who you used to be no longer exists. Because when you believed on Christ, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, which means they, they're extinct. And all things have become new. When you were born again, God took the old you and resurrected you spiritually in Christ Jesus. And you became a completely new identity in your life. The old man is gone. You may look like him. You may have a bald spot like he had. You may be skinny like he was or overweight like he was. You may have a rash like he had, but he's no longer in your spirit. You are a brand new person. James says the only reason why someone backslides is they forget what kind of person they are. And the kind, the word kind there in the Greek is usually, usually always used for a positive kind. What kind of person are you since you got saved? Are you a mountain mover? Are you a world changer? Are you an overcomer? Are you a joyful source? Come on. What kind of person are you in Christ Jesus? I am a happy, joyful, on fire, hard to be around if you're a sinner kind of guy. What kind of guy, what kind of guy or girl are you? See, the problem is people don't know who they are once they get Christ. The church for years has told us this. Hey, you can't be spiritual. Anything that you want has got to be carnal. That's that old man flaring up. Did you know this? That in Jesus' ministry, there was no one born again until after the resurrection. So the thousands of people that he healed... There wasn't one person there that was born of the Spirit. They were all unbelievers that got healed. When I say unbelievers, I'm talking about people spiritually separated from God. 
And did you know that God, the Father, gave all those people things that they desired? The woman with the blood issue, she did not deny herself of the desire to want to be healed. The man that was at the pool that no longer wanted to be crippled, he didn't deny himself of the desire to want to run and walk again. Or blind Barnabas didn't deny himself of the desire to want to be able to see again. And all of them were spiritually shipwrecked, separated from God. I get tired of preachers telling born-again Christians, anything that you desire has got to be of the flesh. Whatever you do, make sure you don't like it, and that's probably spiritual. I want to tell you something. Sure, there's things I don't want to do in the natural that I know I need to do on the inside. But there are desires within your heart that God put there that he wants you to believe God for. Don't you retreat from it, praise God, or you'll be some missionary over in a third world country totally unhappy because he was never supposed to be there in the first place. If you're going to be a missionary, you should be the most happy person there is on the face of this earth. You ought to be rejoicing, praise God, no matter how painful it is. I'm in God's center of his will. It's something that God put in my heart. Hallelujah. That's what God wants you to do. He wants to get, He doesn't want you to deny yourself of desires that God that are good desires in your life. He wants you to embrace those good desires, good desires. Oh, you don't need anything that expensive. You don't need anything that big. You don't need anything that great. No, God doesn't want you to deny the new man in Christ Jesus that's created in the image and likeness of God, that wants to do the God's will, that wants to move mountains, that wants to see revival, that wants to see the family. Come on. Don't you dare deny yourself of that new man, that new self that God gave you in Christ Jesus. Amen? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know when it's of the flesh and when it's of the heart and of the new creation. Flesh is really easy to kind of tell the difference. Man, I'll tell you what. God is at work in me and you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. If no one takes hold of it, if no one goes for their dreams, how in the world is God going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish on this earth? Don't deny yourself. Don't deny the new man in Christ Jesus. He will desire things that you don't even want to mention. He'll desire things that people will laugh at you about it. I'm serious. I know what it's like. I remember sitting in the job shack with all these construction workers, and I'm telling them what God's going to do in my life, and they're saying, I'm nuts. There's things in the new creation God puts inside of you that he wants you to believe for. See the end before it ever manifests. See the outcome right now. Now, let me close with this. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Look at this. As it is appointed for men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now watch this. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly await for him. He will appear a second time. This is for us. Apart from sin 
for salvation. It's talking about us. Did you know that because Jesus took all of our sins on the cross that God will never judge you for your sins? That's why at the judgment seat of Christ, nobody is judged for their sin. Jesus judges their faith, not the sin. He judges whether or not you doubted when you believed. He judges whether or not you had wrong motives in your faith. But he never judges you for your sin because on the cross he took your sins upon himself. Praise God. And God will judge you and say, I can't give that healing to them because they kept doubting. God will judge you when you waver in your love. God will judge you in that. But it's a judgment concerning your faith, not the sin because the sin in Jesus' body, God the Father punished him or punished our Jesus in his body for all of our sins. I tell you what, I get so excited about that. I realize, Lord, I know you're going to judge me whether I believe it or not. I know that. But I know that when I stand before you at the great, or not the great white throne, the famous seat of God, you're going to give out rewards. <laughs> Say, man, you wavered in this or you didn't waver in that. You stood in faith, and I'm going to give this to you. And we'll all receive an eternal reward that isn't, that is forever. It's a final verdict of your faith. Eternity. Am I the only one excited about that or is it just me? Do you understand that my healing here is nothing compared to the eternal reward I get from standing in faith for the healing? The provision that God gives me now is nothing in comparison to the eternal reward that he gives me for standing in faith. Pastor, you stood in faith. You believed me. You didn't waver. I came through. I blessed you. And now I'm going to make you in charge of 10 cities or make you in charge of 20 cities. Hallelujah, Jesus. It's a faith battle. Thanks for listening today. For more messages like this one, check out our podcast, River App, and our website at theriver.church. We're the river, and we're doing life together.